Bruins, get ready to wear black and sing songs of praise of the SAT and ACT. They're on their way out. Hello, everyone. Welcome to No Offense, one of the Daily Bruins' official opinion podcast. My name is Keisha Kadimati. I'm the Daily Bruins' opinion editor. And we have a mighty fine crew with us today on this wonderful Friday, February 22nd. I think I got my dates right. I hope so. We'll find out. And uh, does everybody want to go around and introduce themselves? My name is Tabitha Lewis, and I'm an opinion columnist at the Daily Bruin. My name is Will Blevins, and I'm an opinion columnist as well. I'm also on the Daily Bruin's editorial board. Yes, so we have a fun crew with us today, and we have a meaty set of topics with us. Our first topic, really, like as the introduction implied, is about the SAT and ACT. No, we're not talking about sitting and acting. We're talking about the, what is it called? SAT? What the is it? Scholastic Aptitude Test, um, or SAT. It's been used for, for about 50, 60 years to measure um, competency for college admissions. And the ACT, which I'm not even going to begin guessing what it stands for. Something test. So the conversation around standardized testing has been largely dominated about, you know, what can we do to standardize exams, standardize the application process? And as many people have sort of noted, the standardization of exams, unfortunately, comes at the expense of those who are underprivileged or marginalized communities, that, you know, those without the resources for tutoring and the ability to pay for these exams, unfortunately, don't do as well as their peers who do have the access to those resources. And at UCLA, that conversation has taken root within the academic Senate. So the University of California requires that you submit um, an SAT or ACT exam. Um, and students have sort of been up in arms since last year. There was a proposal by the Academic Affairs Commissioner on USAC, the student government, um, to, you know, get rid of the standardized exam. And, uh, you know, earlier this week, on Wednesday, February 20th, there was a town hall where students, you know, expressed concerns with the SAT and ACT. Um, so just to get things started off, I was wondering if you two could talk about your own experiences with the SAT and ACT or just standardized testing in general. We'll start with you, Tabitha. Um, I paid too much money for a tutoring service in which we basically just took practice exams and went over the questions. I didn't necessarily attend the um, going over the questions. However, I did take the practice exams and I found that to be, I guess, essentially the most useful thing for practicing for the SAT was just doing practice exam after practice exam. And I don't think it was necessary to spend that much money on like a full tutoring service. Looking back in retrospect, I think I could have just bought fat textbooks of um, practice exams and taken them myself. Well, uh, like Tabitha said she wanted to do, I actually bought fat practice books. Um, I didn't actually enroll in an SAT or ACT prep course. Um, and I basically self-studied. Uh, and my my outcomes in the SAT reflected my strengths, I think. I, I pretty much aced the linguistic section, um, but bombed the, mass, the, the, uh, the math section. So there you go. I actually did well on the math section, and um, critical reading seemed to be my worst um, part, and the writing section I did poorly on as well. Let's just say that I can't do reading, and especially not critically, and the SAT sort of reflected that. Um, on my end, um, yeah, in so I come from San Diego, California, and from a more affluent community, and there, 
the sort of everybody around you was jumping into tutoring sessions. They'd spend thousands of dollars on these like 10 week long, maybe eight week long courses over the summer where you do study vocab cards until the end of time. You would do these weird math assignments. You never knew what was going on, except you were always behind in the studying stuff and you felt like your brain was going to explode. And yet they still crammed in more information into your brains. It was sort of like, you know, you were compared to your peers. And if the peers were doing it, you had to do it to stand, stand your ground. So, yeah, I guess I'll kick it back to you guys. Is standardized testing worth it? So um, I think at some level you have to have some way of differentiating applicants that goes beyond the the, the GPA um, at different high schools. As, as is commonly known, um, it can be easier to get a higher GPA at some high schools and harder to get that sort of GPA at others, um, which, which makes it necessary at, to some extent to have a way of differentiating applicants that um, can essentially level the playing field and, and have some and have have essentially one or two measures of their own um, readiness for college. Uh, that being said, you know, it's, it's an open question whether or not the skills that the SAT and the, AC, and the ACT measure um, actually translate into performance in college. You know, that's that's something that that still needs to be investigated. Uh, Tabitha, what do you think about it? Um, I think for the GPA aspect, I believe the way college admissions were explained to me is that college um, people will look at your GPA in context of your high school. So naturally, like if uh, your high school didn't provide APs, you can't get a 5.0. So you can't really compete. Someone from a school that doesn't provide APs, their GPA is just not comparable to someone that came from a high school with multiple APs. So it wouldn't make sense to compare those students on those scales. So I, the way I understand is they will look at you in scope of your high school and see how well you did. That given, uh, standardized tests are a way to test all students like in the whole country on the same scale. I think the issue is when you get all these tutoring things involved, right? Because now certain students, uh, their parents want their children to do better at the test, which is natural as a parent, you want the best. And if that parent happens to be have a job that pays more, they have more money to spend on their children. And I think that's where it becomes unfair because when you're born, you don't get to choose how much money your parents make or how much income they have or their willingness to spend that on you. So if a student has $10,000 to spare, on tutoring services and can be like talk through questions. I mean, there are multiple to SAT tutoring sites that'll show you like improvements on scores. I don't know how those uh, that data was collected, but it seems that there is some correlation between getting a going to a tutoring service and getting that. And so I think then it becomes the standardized tests become exclusivized because all of these organizations have tried to find essentially like cheat ways to do it where it's the score is no longer just reflective of the student's proficiency in a particular area it becomes more how much money did they spend on it becomes a factor in their score so it looks like there's sort of two conversations going on here one is that you know the standardized exams may not even be testing something that's relevant to those trying to get into college and what you end up studying, right? The whole idea of the SATs, is supposed to be an indication of whether you're going to be successful in college. And, you know, there's a debate of whether that's even possible or done via the SAT or ACT. And the other conversation is sort of the disparate access to resources that 
you know, given that these exams may be quite esoteric in what they test, like they might ask you what the word homely means. And you're like, no one uses that in everyday conversation or even in 10th grade English. Like I didn't read that in Catcher in the Rye, I guess. And like, you know, why do I need to learn all these vocab words? There should be a service to help me out. And you know, there are resources that do cater to people who have access to those resources. So I want to sort of touch on each of those topics. Let's talk first about, you know, the merit of the SAT, like, and the ICT, do you guys believe that, you know, these exams proficiently tested whether you were ready for college at life at UCLA? I don't think they do. However, I think in absence of them, you're worse off. Like, I think it's the best of having no other alternative. I think it's a poor, um, whoever designed the exam did a very poor job in testing um, your actual intelligence or whatever it's supposed to test. I feel that as Keshav mentioned asking what the definition of obscure words is just a reflection of how much literature you've read and I don't know that or if you've happened to stumble across that word in the literature you've read. Yeah, I, I, I would definitely agree with that. You know, I think there's some skills that were on the SAT when we took it, when, when Tabitha and I took it, um, that are that are not necessarily conducive to success in college. Um I think that memorizing vocabulary is not necessarily uh, the best indicator of whether or not you're going to enjoy a successful college career. That being said, I think there's some elements of the SAT that are successful in predicting college success. I think that when the SAT gets it gets at um, measures of reading comprehension, uh, measures of critical thinking, analysis, basic math skills, those are all skills that that usually lend themselves to successful college careers. One of the things that, you know, students at the Town Hall on Wednesday spoke about was how UCLA and by extension the UC, UC should stop using the SAT and ACT as indicators of college readiness because of, you know, the fact that it's not a really thorough examiner, that there's some aspects that students may not necessarily do well in that unfortunately do contribute to their total score. And what they were saying was that, you know, the university should find an alternative mechanism. And I wonder, you know, should maybe UCLA or the UC create its own form of testing that, you know, it expects each of its students to have access to, something that maybe you wouldn't be able to necessarily prepare for in the interim. I agree. I think maybe it should be done like college by college, right? So, I mean, each college requires different essays. I think each college also looks for particular qualities in a student, right? And the SAT is kind of a standard. It's taking like a sampling. Like the writing section on the SAT is completely arbitrary, but maybe if you want to apply to the College of Letters and Science to an English program, they would have a way of testing you instead of telling you to write an essay um, that, I don't know, I guess explains something or argues something because that is such a subjective thing to grade and it's done by a grader, right? It's not done by University of California or UCLA, but at UCLA there's like an English department and they look for particular things in writing. So it would be more useful for someone that's interested in going into English to create an exam that would test them on like literature and whatever form uh, UCLA prefers. California does have an exit examination uh, that's, that's given to all of its high school students. It's called the KC. It's a relatively easy exam. Um, usually students from higher performing high schools like mine will, will ace it. Um, some will get perfect scores. So that's not, that's not necessarily a, a perfect replacement, I think, for the SAT. 
Um, but then again, I'm not sure it's so wise uh, for the University of California to step out on its own and create its own test. I think that there's some value in having a uniform measure of student performance um, that's applicable to all colleges across the nation. Um, there's some value in, in having the University of California be able to compare the quality of its applicants against other similar schools. I don't think there is a need to make something standardized because every individual is unique and they have certain strengths that may play up. So by creating a standard exam, you're kind of putting a cap and you're not letting people that have particular areas shine. Like you're kind of just how well can you do at the standard exam? And that may not even test certain students on like what their strength is. I don't think you can test two people on the same the same test um, if they're interested in different areas. That doesn't make sense. They want to go into different things or they have different areas or maybe they want to explore a different area, but there's just no way to encapsulate. Like everything's broken down for some reason into math, reading, or writing. It's one of those three. I think there can be a standardized test in the sense that everyone has the opportunity to take a particular test, but I believe there should be maybe a differentiation between exams or more specificity. I don't think it should just be reading, writing, and math. And the math that's on the SAT, I'm a mathematics major. The math on the SAT, I didn't get a perfect score on basic algebra. And I, the stuff I do now is much more complicated, and I don't believe the math section at all reflects your ability to, like, do math in college. That math section was designed to trick you and, like, make you remember, basically just to trick you. And that's just not the way math is in college. So speaking of specificity, um, this sort of conversation about standardized testing has even percolated up to the graduate school level, where earlier this year, the David Geffen School of Medicine increased its um, GPA and MCAT, or the Medical College Admissions Test Requirements, um, sort of the, the cutoff threshold. Um, this is what medical students leak to the student body, that, you know, the med that that UCLA's medical school had increased these cutoff scores, and that that was going to disproportionately affect underrepresented communities in medicine who are nationally recognized by the American Association for Medical Colleges. And, um, you know, recently also uh, UCLA joined League of Other Universities that now allow students to submit a GRE score or the Graduate Readiness Examination score instead of the LSAT. And, you know, the idea is there is that sometimes LSAT costs can be much more expensive or GREs can be used in different graduate schools. So it looks like the idea of like standardized testing overall is being questioned in some form as a form of the accessibility of it. So I want to take this like a, one step further logically, like, is it tenable to have a system where there's no form of standardized testing? It, it, it sounds pretty crazy um, to have a system where you don't have any sort of standardized assessment, especially when it comes to graduate school. Um, I myself am a pre-law student right now, and uh, part of the reason why law schools use uh, the GRE and the LSAT um, is because there tend to be um, different levels of difficulty to get high grades at different schools. Um, that's also true within majors. So, for example, Getting a high GPA at UCLA in a certain major may be far easier than in another major, um, which which necessitates in some sense the use of a standardized test um, to to put them on the same plane. So I think it's I think it's a pretty unavoidable aspect of of uh, of, of higher education, especially graduate school. That's not to say, however, that we can't continually fine tune the things that we test and and the ways in which we test them. Again, I. 
don't think standardized testings in the sense that it's being explained is necessary. So I think there should be a test taken by every student, right, across different high schools or or colleges if you're applying to grad school because um there's not really yeah there's differences between majors there's even within the same major the same class if you have a different professor it can one can be I've had classes where it, the average is 30 percent and then my friends are in the same like same exact class different lecture the average is 70 percent and typically it's supposed to be normalized same percentage of A's B's or C's but not all professors give out as many A's so your grade does suffer and you shouldn't be concerned about that when taking class but you kind of have to if you're applying to grad school because they will look at your GPA and it is a factor so it's not fair for everything to be just your GPA but I think you can't just have one exam again I think exams should be more intelligently designed like it seems like the way they design uh, tests is very like blunt force like it was designed by I don't know a two-year-old or something like they just need to be designed better so that they can actually test intelligence or however you want to define intelligence if it exists I can attest to the whole two-year-old thing because I took the GRE two years ago and let's just say that the math section was like addition and subtraction and geometry and algebra. And I'm like, I think I did something with multivariable calculus at some point at UCLA. I'm not really sure, but this exam didn't really make me feel all that confident in my degree. So looks like we sort of talked about this topic a lot. We'll be back after a short break. But in the meantime, a question for the test takers to take or not to take. We'll be back after a short break. As the saying goes, the colder it gets, the louder they scream, especially if they're from Southern California. Actually, that was a very bad introduction, but it's an apt way to describe the conversation we've been having during the break. So if you guys haven't realized, it's freezing cold in Southern California. And as a Southern California native who comes from San Diego, which is like supposed to be Mediterranean weather, but it's now 37 degrees and windshields are freezing. It's cold. It's like like the Night King has come to the West Coast. Like, what did we ever do to deserve this? I didn't do anything wrong. Okay, maybe I did, but global warming. Anyway, um, we're here to talk about how the winter has been ruining all our times here at UCLA, or for some, reminding them of the East Coast or Antarctica, I guess, if you're from that part of the world. So if you guys haven't realized, trees are falling, uh, rain is falling, and people's morale is also falling. So a lot of things are falling. Um... And I just want to get your guys' thoughts on this. Like, are you digging this whole winter season stuff? Is this is this great? Is this varied? Is this not your cup of tea? Uh, my one complaint is that it is cold outside and it is very hot in all of the math buildings, especially if you want to go to your teacher's office hours. So it's kind of annoying to be all bundled up and warm walking outside and then dying of heat on the inside. So that doesn't make sense. As for the cold, I think Californians should just get used to it. I lived in Chicago for 10 years and prior to that, I lived in Urbana-Champaign, which was even cold was not as cold I guess still very cold still in Illinois and I think you just have to understand like I don't know people in Alaska suffer colder temperatures Californians are just soft I guess well Arch should you take it or am I gonna take it I, I can take it so um 
I, 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 I uh, grew up uh, for most of my life on the East Coast um, from an area outside of New York City. And about five years ago, I moved to the, to the West Coast. And the funny thing about moving from a very cold climate like that of the East Coast to a warmer one like the West Coast is that your body eventually adapts um, such that over time, I have become totally not able to, to handle the sort of cold that we get in Southern California winters occasionally. So it's, it's, not, it's not really an, an, a, a totally unreasonable thing you know, to, be, to be totally freezing in this sort of weather. I'd like to directly address Tab at this point that as a native Californian, I signed up for sunny beaches, the occasional surfer dude in San Diego, and the ability to eat ice cream year-round. I didn't sign up for Chicago, which is cold and freezing lakes and stuff near Michigan and stuff. I signed up, I signed up for sunshine and the occasional rain and the ability to sport my rain jacket once a year and feel proud that I was using my wardrobe. As for will, your body adapts. I don't, where's the biological evidence for this? I'm pretty sure adaptations take far longer than the span of a couple months. So I don't think that's correct. I think it's all a mental thing and you just have to get used to it. Buy some cute winter clothes and kind of suck it up. But I will say I hate the rain. It's terrible. And the worst feeling ever is being drenched by rain and sitting in class at 8 a.m. Well, it sounds to me like Tabitha should suck it up and get used to the rain. (laughs) As we all can say, weather sucks for everybody during different times of the year. I personally enjoy the rain, but I'm not going to get clobbered by these two at some point. Anyway, thanks so much for listening to our podcast. We will catch you all next week in our next No Offense podcast. And be sure to tune in on Apple Podcasts or dailybrewing.com slash radio. 